Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Making Good, a podcast about the people, products, ideas and initiatives doing the work the world needs now. My name is Lee Evans. I was joined this week by Anastasia Kucherova, Senior Architect at Studio Bueri Architetti, one of the team behind the iconic Bosco Verticale in Milan, where she is based. We talked about what it's like being pioneers of vertical forestry and how the landscape in which the studio operates has changed with the success of their first tower. We also looked at some of the implications for material palettes of vegetated surfaces, the upfront and operating budgets such buildings require, and the forthcoming projects, large and even larger, that the studio has in the pipeline. We began, however, by talking about the studio's pioneering and ambitious mission statement, hugely groundbreaking and inspiring, and which has resonated with me for the year since I first heard it. I hope you enjoy the show. Look forward to feedback. Please do think about sharing on your social networks and rating and reviewing on iTunes. Anastasia, good morning. Thanks ever so much for uh, for joining me on this week's Making Good podcast. Could I ask you to begin by introducing yourself? Yeah, sure. Good morning, Lee. I'm uh, really glad to be here to have this conversation. Uh, I'm a senior architect at Stefano Blair Architetti. Uh, I work for over seven years uh, on sustainable architecture uh, on all scales. And um, yeah, I would, I would be happy to share some of my experience. Wonderful. So um, as a, a backstory for the listeners, I mean, clearly the, um, the vertical forest, um, uh, the initial vertical forest in Milan and now the others that are seeding around the world, um, some of the other urban forestry projects that you've been involved in are iconic. But the, the reason why I, um, I um, reached out and why I'm so grateful that you're able to join me is because when we, um, we met last year in the studio, when we had the tour, I... Um, I remember asking you if the um, if the practice had um, a mission vision statement, and your reply stopped me in my tracks, and it's something that stayed with me ever since, and which I've spoken about to other people. And I wonder if we can begin our conversation a little bit by by unpacking that. So, um, if you could share with everybody what the practice um, vision mission statement is, and then um, and then and then maybe explain a little bit about about what it means to you and how it informs um, your practice. Yes. Uh, if we had to resume, uh, resume the mission in just a couple of words, it would be reversing climate change. And this is quite an ambitious statement, uh, but our studio uh, tries to, to make it happen, uh, basically. Uh, but first of all, before even speaking about it, uh, I think we have to establish some ground rules. Uh, in spite of what some politicians and researchers say, uh, climate change exists and we all have to face it, whether we believe in it or not. If we look at the curve of temperature uh, rise and carbon dioxide emissions from 18th century to nowadays and overlap it with the curve of human activity, uh, we couldn't help noticing the relation between the two graphics. Uh, looking at it even more closely, we'll realize that uh, the peaks of climate change uh, correspond to industrial revolutions which have brought about plenty of benefits, but uh, have accelerated the economic development to the point uh, almost to take it out of our control. So in this last year, I think we all been, uh, it's becoming uh, even more clear uh, why the climate change is everyone's problem. It doesn't threaten the entire planet Earth, let's say, but it certainly puts in danger the humankind. Um, it would be enough to mention the devastating wood fires and increasingly important human uh, floods to realize that uh, uh, even heating of the planet by one degree might be sufficient to wipe off its surface a lot of coastal cities, for example, and deprive all its inhabitants of the most precious green lungs. So I think uh, the consequences of the climate change are pretty serious, and this is why our studio um, uh, focuses on uh, on this uh, theme. This premise is being made. Uh, uh, our practice has married the cause of reversing climate change movement, uh, promoted by Commonwealth and other international networks, uh, I'll say some 10 years ago. And the moment, Stefano Architetti is the only professional studio working on the relationship between men and nature on all scales from architectural design to planetary forestation strategies, through urban environment improvement and new foundations it is planning. Um, basically, the main thing we've learned through this 
uh, years is that uh, the cooperation is the key to success, especially when you are talking about such an ambitious goal or mission. Uh, and global networking uh, is uh, actually capable of overcoming any wall or any idiocracy that might stand in its way. Wonderful. Just to um, just as an aside, are you, do you experience <clears throat> still to this day? I mean, it's very easy when we work in um, in these professional circles to assume that, um, or assume that everyone is basically on the same page about the facts and the science that the um, that climate deniers um, or people who may be resistant to um, to to working with the implications of the knowledge of climate change are a small group or, or far away. Are these? Do you encounter denial, resistance to um, to these in your professional practices? Part of the the um, of the setting of such a bold um, uh, mission statement um, to um, to help you to um, to overcome these um, that that kind of resistance. Uh, well, obviously we do. Uh, we know that uh, the consciousness about the climate change. It's something that enters in conflict with the economical, political interests of uh, uh, plenty of people on our planet. So uh, it's uh, natural that we do encounter some problems. And it is considered an ambitious mission by ourselves in the first place. We are aware of the obstacles of different nature that the idea of reversing climate change might encounter. Um, but I, I would say that at the regions, the idea was born uh, out of necessity. Uh, being the architects and urban planners, we feel responsible for the way our cities look and act. And if the cities have become one of the major causes of air pollution with all its consequences, we might have in hand the strongest tool uh, to actually reverse the trend uh, by conceiving them in a totally different manner. So this is something that all the actors are slowly trying to to understand and are starting to, to get involved into. So we have stopped uh, looking at the human being as uh, the only most important inhabitant of urban environments, try to widen our angle of vision to the other species, both animal and vegetal. And we've seen the, what just a few centuries of humankind dictatorship have done to the planet. And I think uh, ever more people are realizing the same thing. And it's about time our concept of the world moves from anthropocentrism to a more complex vision. Uh, in a few words, uh, let's say from egocentric to ecocentric. Yeah, this is fantastic. The, for uh, many of our listeners, this will be um, this will be um, familiar terrain, but. Could we just for those who may be coming um, coming afresh to um, to vegetated cities to um, to to, um, to to vertical forests, um, urban forestry? Could you um, state um, f from the studios, from yours, from the studios' perspective, um, why um, why integrating nature into um, into the um, the urban environment is so um, is so important? The different ways in which that um, that crystallizes. Well, uh, basically, living close to, to nature is one of the uh, most traditional or, let's say, old uh, dreams of the, of the men and uh, objectives of the men. Uh, I think if we uh, simply think on a, our, uh, about our everyday life, uh, we all love being uh, in close contact with nature and, and the psychological and physical state of the any person is much better when they are surrounded by nature than uh, uh, rather than being surrounded by the stones or concrete. Yeah. So uh, this is the, the very, very simple reasoning behind the, the idea of bringing the nature back to the cities. On the other hand, uh, uh, listening to the, to the scientists' uh, alarms uh, about the temperature, the greenhouse effect, uh, uh, generated by the cities, uh, we have thought that uh, the surfaces of our metropolis are too mineralized, so they, they don't leave uh, actually leave space to the to the nature, and it might be the most uh, efficient way of uh, counteracting you know this negative effect by uh, bringing it close to our uh, to, to the place where the climate change is being produced. So this is. Uh, um, 
explain it in, uh, in, a very, simp in very simple terms. Uh, we, we also believe that uh, the buildings like a vertical forest, which is basically an architecture hosting over 800 trees and uh, around 20,000 plants, uh, is a way of uh, speaking to the citizens in a very clear manner. So uh, compared to some other buildings that are uh, maybe sustainable, applying sustainable strategies and energy efficiency strategies are maybe less evident and uh, uh, not translating all these messages uh, right away in the, in the environment. That's, um, that's one of the ways in which I think I've always thought about um, about green roofs. Obviously, the Bosco takes it to a uh, to a whole new dimension, but nothing nothing um, demonstrates the um, the um, the aspiration of the building, its occupants, its designers, than um, than the appear than the appearance of vegetation on the um, on the outside surfaces. To continue for a little moment, if I may, with the um, with the um, with the mission statement, um, I'm one, I'm wondering not just in terms of the um, now the uh, the design of um, of buildings, of neighbourhoods, of of whole um, cities and um, and regions in in ways that integrate na nature for all the benefits that we've that we've discussed. I wonder how is it possible to talk a little bit about um, about the way within the practice within the within the um, the workforce, if you like, these um, these missions are um, starting to be driven. Uh, the reason I I ask I know noticed recently I was reading um, an article on um, on Siemens who have um, in the midst of the uh, obviously huge multinational um, infrastructure company in the, in the midst of the um, the Australian fires they were called the or the, the CEO was called to defend um, their signing of a contract while the fires were burning to um, to transport to build the railway lines that would transport the coal away from the um, uh, from the uh, from the new coal mines which were being opened up in in Australia, and of course must have understood the um, the huge um, brand disaster that that, that that would connote. One of the ways that he spoke that he spoke about in what was a very interesting um, like kind of open letter um, about the way in which uh, Siemens was trying to do better. He mentioned that there was um, an effort. Um, a, a recalibration of um, of incentives of the, the human resources of his organisation in such a way that it, they were trying to incentivise um, uh, re impact reductions within people's, whether it be their remuneration, bonus packages, um, what 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 have you. I just it it, it made me wonder um, how. Um, how how businesses how organisations can start to think about driving change um, in internally, and then wondered, of course, with your with your ambitious statement, if there was something um, analogous going on going on for you guys, or or at least if the conversation had begun to be had. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Lee. This is a great question. Thanks for bringing it up. Since uh, the completion of the vertical forest in 2014, our quite small studio has made an unproportionally big fossil or around the world. Uh, the first building, considering living nature in integral part of the building rather than main decoration. The first bu building able to absorb the carbon dioxide and dust particles already emitted to the atmosphere. So it's immediately drawn much attention to our work. Uh, lots of criticism and skepticism, uh, but way more approval and sincere curiosity, not only from fellow architects, but a much wider public, from politicians and developers or, mm, to the common citizens. So the studio has grown exponentially from 2014 to today, opening new offices in China and recently also in Albania, uh, increasing the staff to 100 people between different quarters. Uh, so now we can uh, actually start talking about us as a company and on just a small practice. So on a daily basis, uh, we do strive to measure up to the standards we are establishing for the buildings and cities we design. Uh, as a studio, we have recently committed towards carbon-free future, this project I'm following, uh, which is based on uh, 17 sustainable development goals um, uh, of the United Nations. And we are uh, activating uh, right now a four steps process, uh, which is actually shared by, by many enterprises, not only, I think we are one of the first architectural studios thinking about it, but there are uh, some other big uh, companies, uh, also the multinational ones, uh, uh, think in the same way. So the, the process consists of four steps. Uh, first is a environmental impact analysis. 
what we actually generate as a practice. Uh, then comes the implementation of some improvement strategies and introducing the impact. Um, it follows with the compensation uh, in order to balance the negative impact we generate. So we do understand we uh, will never be able to stop producing, uh, uh, stop polluting the air, let's say, the, in the environment. Uh, so we are uh, trying to understand the, the best ways to, to balance uh, the negative impact with the positive one. And uh, in the end comes the international certification as a carbon-free or low-emission firm, uh, which is the goal for, uh, let's say, long-term goal for uh, a lot of companies uh, around the world. And this commitment, we are actually working in two directions, let's say scientific and uh, popular one analyzing the impact using all available technologies and methods, uh, but at the same time involving every single member of the team to the simple and effective little uh, everyday life improvements, like using less plastic packaging in the studio. We abolished plastic glasses, for example. We only use the uh, many times uh, bottles. Uh, encouraging to recycle the paper as much as possible. So we always, uh, if you print on one side, use the other side for sketching. Uh, prefer soft mobility and public transport to the personal cars. We only have uh, a couple of people uh, out of uh, 60 working here in Milan that are coming by car, who are actually obliged to do so. Uh, we stimulate uh, all the business trips, let's say, uh, to be uh, as uh, carbon low as possible, and we do measure our actual impact for every trip our staff makes. Uh, I have to say we are only in the beginning of this path, but so it's early to speak about the achievements, but we are committed to being coherent with our philosophy as much as possible. Yeah, it's really wonderful to see like the, the, the joined upness, and I think that that it's a journey that that many people are um, are, are embarking on, or and and are different stages in. Can I ask you um, uh, a little bit uh, the extent to which you've considered uh, the use of concrete in um, in these structures and specifically not because I understand there is some cities around the world, uh, Toronto for example, which is leading um, uh, from my understanding, on um, on the um, on the uh, uh, adoption of um, of timber framed um, high rise buildings. If we're going to um, if we're going to be building at um, at height, and we know that timber is um, uh, timber is possible up to a certain height, does is there a, uh, are there uh, compromises implied by the by the specification of this material um, where we want to um, a go very high to deal with density or um, or integrate um, integrate uh, vegetation into um, into the into the sky rises? Does do the does the way that we understand cities becoming increasingly dense, but also um, desiring them to become increasingly green? demand um, a specific um, palette of materials with which concrete has to play a part? Well, yeah, we are. We do consider uh, uh, different structural solutions uh, after the first uh, application of the traditional concrete structure. And uh, after the analysis, uh, worldwide analysis, I would say that uh, the main problem behind not using timber in the construction is more... Uh, on the mental level, so there is uh, uh, the regulations and normatives in each country are not uh, keeping up with the real innovations in the field, in the industry, um, uh, because a lot of architects are actually willing to, to build and the engineers are ready to come up with the solutions, even for quite high buildings, uh, over 15 floors, let's say, yeah. But uh, there are uh, there is a few countries uh, actually allowing to, to do so. So in this uh, in this sense, uh, I think we have to to make everyone more sensitive uh, on this topic, especially the the management of the cities and the people who are uh, working on the regulations. Um, but using timber instead of concrete uh, is a sustainable strategy as long as it comes in a package with conscious forest management, of course. Yeah, 
Absolutely. So um, is there a simple rule of thumb how much better um, constructing with materials other than concrete is for the um, for the environment? Or is it very much a, a, a contingent question on, unlike, unlike you say, the, 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 the provenance of the material, how far it's travelled, so on? Yeah, this is a... Let's say that re this reasoning kind of nature comes out of the consciousness um, in, the, in the building sphere about uh, considering the entire life cycle assessment instead of thinking just about the, the construction part of the, the life of the building. So when you start considering the entire life cycle and uh, not only its most evident aspect, you inevitably notice the necessity of, uh, of innovation, the processes uh, and mentality on all levels. Uh, you think as a, a highly, uh, wood is a highly recyclable, uh, seismically resistant and flexible material. Uh, it is produced from a renewable source, potentially, uh, um, with the wise forest management, as I was saying. Um, but, we, uh, but it depends uh, on, on the area where we are talking about. So uh, every time we uh, go to a new place, uh, uh, where we have to design a building, we first analyze its uh, potential and uh, everything that is available in the place. So it's more about working with the local materials and with the uh, local uh, construction traditions uh, rather than bringing around the timber construction. Every sure. Is there, um, are there any implications for um, the fact that the... Um... Uh, growing vertically, covering the facades and the roofs of buildings in um, in, uh, in vegetation is going to mean that there's a lot of um, damp, uh, wet material um, around constantly in the um, on the building, in the building fabric as the plants um, as plants are watered and and hold that that water before they evaporate, transpirate it. Is that is that a um, is that a consideration in terms of material specification, or is it uh, the, the just as the, the assumption is that the um, that the membranes applied to the outside will be doing their job. Uh, well, of course, we have to consider the membrane as an uh, integral part of the building. So it's not a decoration, not something you can apply afterwards after you have conceived the project. Uh, so it does have have to take into consideration the the structural uh, issues, and this is the reason why we are always saying that we are still not not there for uh, doing the requalification or renovation of the other buildings as a vertical forest. Uh, so uh, when we within thought about the concrete, uh, the structure is uh, uh, has like post tension concrete slabs uh, in order to hold the, all the weights of the plants. But uh, with the wood, you even have to think about the the plant in a different manner. And if, for example, you go using some other recyclable and uh, ecological materials, uh, you have to rethink it once again. So it's always a teamwork uh, with a plant engineer, structural engineers, botanists. And let's say it has to, has to work out and be sustainable and it can never leave behind the maintenance aspects. Uh, uh, we have to imagine how are people going to use this building and live in it even after 40 or 50 years. Sure. Um, and, and speaking of about the um, the role of the different um, uh, experts, um, sites of knowledge that, are, um, that, that, that play their part, how how is the how is the learning process going since the um, since the first one? I understand that there were more um, more towers planned now. Um, around the world has the process got easier or is it uh, does the um, does the, the the new locations the new climates make mean that it's um, that it's it's somehow equally challenging now when you take when you when the idea is received in a different place well uh, of course we are learning uh, since the the first realization uh, so far the vertical force in Milan is the only one completed and functioning so uh, it's our only prototype we can actually learn from and we can monitor for almost six years now um, uh, though we are uh, close to, to completion in uh, Nanjing in China so it will be the next vertical forest to be finished this year uh, we have uh, two fast-going uh, construction sites in the Netherlands uh, one in Albania 
um, some some of them in northern africa so we actually work all around the world and one of the first considerations we made uh, uh, when we were asked how to uh, replicate this model in the other uh, climatic zones or uh, in general in the other cities uh, you always have to deal with the not only with technical aspects, and by technical I mean also botanical and structural, uh, but uh, first of all with the cultural ones. So I mean, when you go to, to Egypt, for example, uh, not everyone is ready for having a, a skyscraper, or maybe in, in that zone it's, it's not sustainable enough to have a, a very high building with the, uh, with the plants. Uh, so we have to uh, always, always have to have, find a compromise between the, the local expectations and the innovations, and uh, try to uh, take as much as possible from the um, from the local materials, local resources. So, we, for example, talking about the uh, the water use uh, when we apply our idea to very dry regions. Uh, so we uh, have to consider such strategies as desalinization, like taking the, using the water from the sea and taking the salt out of it, or watering the plants. Uh, in some other cases, like uh, in the Milan vertical forest, we are uh, actually gathering the rainwater and uh, trying not to waste a drop of it by a smart and uh, automatically uh, regulated uh, irrigation system. So every time it's uh, it's a challenge that has uh, has a lot of facets. Sure, um, I, I, I can well imagine. One one thing that struck me when I was speaking to um, to Laura Gatti, the um, the agronomist who helped select um, select the every species, I believe, for the um, for the uh, for the Milan uh, Bosco, she was she described how. Um, the planting was chosen to uh, to frame the views of the city yeah. and region for the um, for the residents in such a yeah in such a way that they um, that it, it was reminiscent or evocative of the um, of the of the traditional um, uh, Italian Italian villa and she contrasted that with some projects that um, that she was involved with um, I believe of yours in um, in Switzerland where she said that the culture was very much less about framing a vision of the uh, the valley with um, with uh, with trees, with with shrubs, what have you, and very much more about maybe um, a uh, a statement plant off to the side on the um, on the, on the on the balcony as um, as decoration. Really, it, that really stayed with me, and I wondered to like to what to what extent, to what um, level of detail do you do you go in terms of um, specifying the um, you know the, the plant selection and 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 the aesthetic arrangement, if you will, of the um, of the vegetation. Well, yeah, this is a very interesting uh, question. Uh, because we do work uh, on, uh, in almost all of our projects with Laura Gatti, who is the expert in agronomy and botanics. Uh, but we also uh, work and listen to, to the people that are going to live in uh, each particular case in, the, in our buildings and try to, as I was saying, uh, consider the cultural aspect, which is one of the most important challenges we face while working on such projects. So often it is a mentality to prevent the stakeholders and common citizens from marrying the idea rather than real technical or economical obstacles. One of the criteria of, uh, for choosing the trees is to pick local species, already used to the peculiar climatic conditions. But of course, the way in which people experience their terrors differs from one country to another. Uh, the Swiss project you've mentioned, uh, in fact, has become the first application of a different structural system uh, in order to meet the requirement of the client to have the panoramic view. So we had to uh, implement the lodges instead of balconies so that the trees are planted aside the huge panoramic window and they have like the very clear view of the lake uh, on their context. Uh, at the same time in Italy, being embraced by the vegetation is part of the traditional way of living. Uh, so the residents feel safe and comfortable and even less dizzy when we're talking about high floors. Uh, when they're surrounded by trees and shrubs, uh, framing their view from the apartment. That's um, 
that's a really interesting um, way of thinking about the, the, the psychology of, um, of comfort and, um, and, in, and enclosure. Um, and it also uh, raises the question of, um, of, uh, of the conversations that you have maybe with, um, with, the, with the different stakeholders. Um, do, you have, um, do you have much con, uh, uh, how much thought that you're able to give or contact do you have with the, um, the, uh, the users of the, uh, the property? I'm guessing um, it's developers mainly that you, um, that you speak with, so it kind of mediates the, um, the, the, the conversation in, um, in, 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 that way, in that way in terms of um, designing for the, uh, for the people who will actually live there. Uh, well, yes, uh, it's uh, only partly true because in some cases uh, the developers are really open-minded. For example, the uh, social housing vertical forest we're now building in Eindhoven in the Netherlands is part of a larger development, uh, which is the conversion of the ex-industrial site uh, into, into a new development. And it actually tries to implement the participatory planning. So it, do, it does involve the future residents uh, from the very beginning, from the time we start to discuss uh, uh, the project. Uh, so we can actually uh, uh, receive their inputs uh, and try to, to find the best solution that will suit their needs. Uh, so in that case, uh, it was even more difficult because we had to uh, realize the social housing with the prefabricated model. So all the apartments are uh, have the, uh, more or less the same layout. And it was very important to uh, listen to everyone in order to find the average that will work for, uh, for all of them. And uh, in case of Milan, uh, we are fortunately able to speak to to the residents uh, as well. So we have some, uh, some feedback from them in the first person. We sometimes uh, go around and interview them. So we see how they're actually experience the presence of the biodiversity, uh, how they perceive uh, the positive or other sides of, uh, of living in such a building. But basically uh, anyone who is marrying the idea of living uh, uh, on vertical forest is a kind of a pioneer, uh, innovator himself, even if it's just a resident and not the architect, because they are willingly going to live in this experiment. This, um, I, really, I really admire this um, this process of co-design, but then also following up and evaluating how things have actually um, actually gone in practice. Is this um, folding back into your the design process for for future Boscos um, or future, you know, future future um, uh, larger li larger scale um, uh, designs? Uh, yeah, after completing the first uh, vertical forest, we immediately received uh, feedback from all around the world. And uh, one of the uh, countries where we work a lot and we even have an office uh, is uh, China. So we, uh, in 2015, our studio opened a branch in Shanghai. Uh, and this is not uh, just a coincidence because China is one of the uh, very fast developing countries uh, that produce a lot of pollution. And as you will remember, uh, five, six years ago, some of the Chinese cities have been uh, actually unacceptable. It had uh, uh, horrible conditions of air, and so the people couldn't, couldn't live there anymore, basically. And this is the reason why uh, we have been, uh, even uh, um, on a government level, we have been asked to conceive uh, uh, solutions on a larger scale. No, uh, another phenomenon which is uh, actually occurred in China. I'm taking this example, but uh, it uh, also can can be said about uh, India or Brazil or other uh, countries. Uh, let's say in this phase of development um, is the phenomenon of uh, migration because a lot of people are uh, migrating from the countryside towards the cities. And this is something that uh, is caused by the economical changes. So the government can't, can't, can't do anything about it, but uh, conceiving the cities in a, new, in a different way. So we have been asked to plan uh, the first forest city, uh, first in China, 
then it has been uh, proposed in Mexico and in Northern Africa. So now we have uh, at least three of these developments going on. And uh, let's say it, uh, that this kind of thinking uh, can, can really help us uh, in our mission. Because when you uh, think about entire urban units for, uh, let's say, 70, 100,000 people, uh, you, you have much more power than, to, to change than just with one building, single buildings. Um, I spoke with um, with Cecil Canundok, who I, um, I I believe you um, you're you're acquainted with about the um, the idea of um, sponge cities in China. Is this does this concept overlap with the forest city? Are we talking about the same the same thing here? He was he was speaking particularly in terms of um, of um, of uh, urban urban drainage, I think, and managing um, making the cities more absorbent. But are we are the design principles the same for um, for coping with say um, air pollution mitigating? air pollution? Yeah, let's say uh, we have to come back uh, one step uh, and say that the tree is the, actually the, the only way uh, existing on our planet to absorb already produced pollution. Uh, so there are plenty of ways of reducing uh, what we can emit in the air, but uh, only trees can absorb the dust particles and the carbon dioxide and also uh, intercept the water uh, in the city. So this is the drainage Cecil was talking about. Uh, our, the first cities uh, we work on uh, not only imply the implementation of the huge amount of tree canopy, uh, obviously helping uh, cleaning the air and uh, keeping the cities from floods, uh, but uh, it also implements uh, the strategies like soft mobility, uh, like smart use of water resources, and we do work with the experts in, in these particular fields on, uh, let's say, all the facets of sustainable development. So it's not only about deforestation, but uh, it's always there is always a more complex strategy behind. I'm I'm really envious of the um, of the ability to come to work every day and work at such sweeping scale on the problems that we um, that we're facing. It must be just must be um, uh, a joy, really. Can I ask, as you we're talking here about whole new cities that are being built? My uh, last week's um, last week's guests um, uh, have launched an initiative called uh, the Internet of uh, Nature, which is about helping using um, the latest. Um, uh, AI, um, um, spatial mapping techniques, um, and also algorithms, which kind of help to um, to, to derive um, uh, information available in the in the digital public realm about public satisfaction with green infrastructure, parks, and so forth. Using all of this um, gamut of, um, of of new of new techniques, um, new technologies to compensate for the um, for the fragmented. Um, uh, Connectivity, mycorrhizal connectivity between trees and uh, tree tree communities, and thinking about um, the the green slash smart city um, nexus. Is this um, is this right at the uh, forefront of your of your thinking? Is technology a big part of what you're um, of what you're working with um, when you're when you're designing these new cities? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first of all, when you uh, for any urban planner uh, thinking about the future and being a I would say a, a dreamer, a forward-looking person is an essential skill. So when you conceive the city, uh, we are talking about at least 30 years uh, for it to be to be built and uh, uh, actually get going. So we do have to consider not only uh, most edge-cutting technologies, but the technologies that are still to come. So. We are in contact with the, with the people, uh, the pioneers of the technological development, and we try to foresee which kind of technology they can come up with uh, in the following years. So this is uh, important for us to uh, imagine the zero emission trains or cars uh, in the future, the, the, the driverless cars, and uh, all other kinds of uh, technologies that are not even here yet. Uh, on the other hand, uh, it's very important to, uh, to involve the people in the process of this, of this change. 
So the citizens of, uh, of any unit we are, uh, we are going to design uh, have to understand how it works. So from this point of view, it's uh, very important to use uh, the, the apps or uh, the, any other uh, divulgative means, let's say, to uh, actually uh, convey to the people uh, the changes that are occurring and uh, try to get them involved, try to get, make them part of this. For example, if the people are involved into monitoring the state of the trees, or uh, as it was made for New York City, they could contribute to, to the mapping that, to mapping the trees. Uh, it's something uh, really priceless because they feel part of the change and they feel responsible for anything they do. This is like a, a very simple action of planting the tree uh, and feeling responsible for it. Yeah, this was something that Adina and Sophie spoke um, spoke um, wonderfully about last week. The um, the possibility for the introduction of um, monitoring technology to inculcate um, a real sense of stewardship to help people who may have moved through the cityscape not really aware of the benefits that they were getting from the trees. You know, only in kind of once, twice, third removed. Yeah, to to now to now feel like they're they're part of a living, a larger living organism which they can help to take care of and and taking care of things is is one of the one of the uh, the, the great routes to um you know to to improve mental mental well-being you know to to to, to wellness um could i ask um uh, there's a something that's intriguing me about the um about the the process of um of of building um towers um cities which are which are covered in vegetation while we're at the stage where it's not yet normal um, clearly, the, Bos the Milan Bosco is um, is, I is iconic, and we'll be driving a change in um, uh, in the kinds of people who are the demographic, if we like, of uh, people who will be interested in in um, in in pushing this agenda forward. Is to what extent are you finding that you're um, that that, um, that the kinds of people you're speaking with are, are different now? Is it? Um, and and also how are they how are the how is the ROI the return on investment being being considered is it does I'm sure someone moves into the Bosco they have um, they have a room in an uh, in a in an iconic um, building there's a there's a financial benefit to, um, to you know the the, the asset um, inflation that will that will come with that that's that's kind of universal right but but is there is it how how is it um how is it uh, that that the um that the value of um of um vegetated um architecture is um is is changing now would you say uh well i, I have to say that uh, in in the in case of milan uh, the place where vertical forest uh, raised together with the rest of the of the new master plan uh, was a actually uh, uh, an abandoned place basically so it uh, not only changes the value of this building itself uh, but also the value of all the buildings around because it, it has a, a potential of uh, creating a new business new attraction uh, around it and uh, uh, for real estate it's it's absolutely positive at the same time it didn't take out the the identity of the place uh, so it tried to Keep the social functions around uh, around it, so the, uh, it is quite a mixed neighborhood, considering the needs uh, of traditional Milan and uh, uh, let's say the Milan of tomorrow. Um, speaking in uh, in terms of, of dialogue with the stakeholders, with the developers, uh, uh, I have to say that uh, this building is uh, constantly attracting. Uh, the real decision makers from all around the world. So we have uh, like the mayors of big cities visiting it, have the other developers coming on, this, on study trips to see how it works. So they do analyze uh, uh, and they do see all the, all the benefits it brings about. And uh, they are, after seeing it, uh, much more keen to uh, undertaking such such an adventure, let's say, like building a new vertical forest in their place. Uh, so it's it always speaks better than thousands of images or renders just to take them there and show them how how it feels like. Uh, on the other hand, for us, it's it's very very important that uh, it also speaks to the to the common citizens and to the 
common imagination, let's say, because uh, it's a very uh, funny example, but, uh, you know, even Lego started producing the, the blocks uh, made of recycled plastic that feature in plants. So as I think about it, uh, I imagine the kids that uh, are going to, to build their imaginary buildings uh, using the, the green material, the nature, as a, 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 part, a natural part of it. Uh, so they consider it a normal material, and this is how it becomes a normality, I think. I, um, yeah, it's certainly um, that that sense. I was I was overwhelmed when um, when I when I went there. It was um, it was you could I I could well see how the con the the, the fact of its existence, the um, it, its presence, and the ability of um, of leaders from um, from places around the world, planners, mayors, um, developers, so forth, would we all start to see an exponential drive um, and 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 reaching a reaching a tipping point so that the questions stop becoming about um, whether but more than just about how many I suppose a um, couple of um, a, a couple of questions that I guess uh, relates to the um, well I would I would anticipate being the kind of conversations you have while you're still somewhat in the pioneer stage um, is about how much more does it cost both um, yeah so how much more does it does it cost relative to a building that doesn't um, attempt to cover its um, its facades in vegetation um, is there a, a simple kind of ratio of uplift in in cost and then also in terms of the operating and maintenance the budget um, that that um, that uh, the, the property owner may need to allow um, in addition for um, for care of the plants yeah this is a frequently asked question, as you can imagine. Uh, we have, we, we've asked ourselves about it many times until we've come to an understanding that actually the building and sustainability can only be evaluated in a, this life cycle assessment I was talking about before. So it's not completely correct to say how the vertical forest relates to the cost of the normal block. First, because it has all the research behind it, you won't have to invest into another time. So we are already facing this, uh, the thing that a lot of uh, things we've learned from the first application, from the first prototype, we don't have to, to go through them uh, uh, in the other cases. And this is the knowledge that we share not only within our studio, but with all fellow architects. Uh, second, because uh, truly sustainable architecture considers all the phases from the extraction of raw materials required for its realizations, for the production and logistics, construction and maintenance, up to recycling and disposal at the end of its life cycle. Uh, so truth be told, we might say that it costs the decline around 15% more to realize vertical forest compared to a standard cost for a reinforced concrete building of this size. But it won't reflect the whole economy behind the project. So the community of architects and especially the network of stakeholders is now uh, also coming to understanding of the complexity of this kind of considerations. Um, and uh, this is a kind of new consciousness uh, that's being born. Okay, it's going to take us to an entirely new level of conceiving and making architecture. Uh, as for the maintenance, it's a little bit easier to, to make these calculations. Uh, the maintenance of the vertical forests uh, uh, let's say it costs around 60 euro per square meter per year, and it includes all the costs related to the buildings. And within this number, uh, it's only um, around 20% uh, that is devoted to, to greenery. Uh, so we try to, to keep uh, the maintenance as automatic as possible. All uh, the watering, uh, all the nutrition of the plants is... Uh, uh, being made by by machine by computers uh, talking to the the chips uh, in uh, every single pot so this uh, entire uh, uh, machine that we have uh, is uh, working uh, autonomously the only moment in which the real human assistance is required is the pruning of the trees twice a year and uh, this is uh, basically the cost that the residents find uh, in their bill in terms of the, the their, their annual or semi or biannual maintenance budget there's um <clears throat> in respect of um thinking about um life cycle I, I i i do wonder because there's 
maybe it's maybe it's not something that comes into the equation at, um, at the stage of um, individual buildings, but certainly the um, it. It's. I know health um, health authorities in the UK are starting to matriculate um, the, um, the the benefits that, um, that accrue to the public purse um, to the tax burden, the, the, you know, the national or the local tax burden of um, of improvements in air quality, um, of uh, improvements of um, uh, well being that are afforded by um, by increasing the amount of nature in um, in 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 given areas. How far along the path? Um, is your sense that we are towards um, towards an understanding that there's um, uh, that we that we must think about the cost benefit analysis not just in terms of the private money spent by a developer but um, but but also like a, a, a more macro level between um, between social goods which are which are delivered. Yeah, this is a very important point actually. Uh, the cities that are uh, all on this page are not are not a lot. I wouldn't say it's all all the cities in the world, but the most advanced ones, especially the ones involved in the global networking like C40 or other uh, sustainable networks, are uh, actually considering all the all these benefits. As you were saying, uh, uh, the air quality is, uh, is something we uh, I mean we face it con its consequences. Uh, in, the, in the hospitals, but it's uh, not even the immediate uh, um, effect. Uh, it's something you have to, to look through, to monitor through the years, uh, the, the well-being of the, of the citizens, but it's something that obviously repays and uh, uh, we surely have to take it into consideration. And our uh, possibility of talking not only to the private uh, stakeholders but also to the municipality of the cities to the to the mayors or uh, other uh, decision makers and also opinion makers is very important uh, for spreading uh, the knowledge of this and uh, uh, making this uh, consciousness something uh, ever more common I am um... In um in a, in an early episode of the podcast, I spoke to um to Duncan Baker Brown, who's a, an architect who has worked for many years um, at the vanguard of uh, circular economy architecture. So the um, the phrase he uses is mining the Anthropocene to um to, you know to to find in, increasingly increasingly to make use of the um of the resources that we've already created in society rather than digging new ones out of the ground. And as I was um. Uh, I, I was posing the question to him about where do we need to put most of the effort to um, to drive the agenda in of, of you know that you're that you're working with, and uh, he was saying that it was um, with local planning officers within cities would be the um, would be the place to um, to create the most change. Could I put the same question to you to, to you know to find if we want to if we really want to drive this agenda, where would you suggest is the um, the effort needs to be um, to be put? Well. Uh, looking uh, at the city on a wide, wide scale of urban planning, there is an essential checklist that comes even before we start thinking of the uh, construction materials or any architectural details. And this is the question I think all the architects have to pose themselves. So before even conceiving a new building on a new site, we should ask ourselves, uh, are there any more buildings to renovate left? Um, is there at least one building impossible to renovate that we can demolish and put in its place? So these are two basic questions we have to, to answer. And only, uh, only after we've converted or built what is possible within existing boundaries of the city can we start thinking about expanding it. Uh, this, is, this might be a wise strategy uh, for urban managers and private developers because it's uh, about reducing the soil consumption uh, for sure, it's challenging, but it, it does its job and allows us to keep better balance uh, between the increasingly growing needs of the population and the healthy urban uh, environment. Uh, another thing to keep in consideration is, of course, the, the infrastructure that supports uh, uh, the needs generated by this higher density. So the more people you want to fit on a square mile, the more uh, transportation services and recreation capacity you need around. This is about not only densifying the urban environment and preventing cities from uh, from sprawl. Uh, it's also about guaranteeing good quality of life within the city. The um, 
I think we're increasingly getting to a point where we um, we're recognising that um, that that roads are just an incredibly inefficient use of space in um, in in in, uh, in urban areas, giving up so much of our um, of, the, of the land that we need to use without encroaching on green space around the outskirts of um, of cities to um, to private journeys in vehicles is um, it's it, I, I think it's not it's, it we, we won't be lasting for long. And I noticed that um, in, on your website and some of the developments that you've got planning, there's there's like inbuilt infrastructure now for um, for um, for private journeys which terminate at the outskirts of cities and then and a much denser um, uh, more sophisticated network of moving people around within the cities being built is that is that correct yes it's uh, correct because one of the uh, reasons uh, of uh, of traffic uh, I mean traffic is one of the reasons uh, of air pollution uh, and if you think about uh, the cities uh, expanding too much uh, you always have to imagine the suburbs uh, inhabited by, by the people who work in, in the downtown and all this uh, uh, mass of people moving uh, to at least twice a, a day uh, uh, up and down. So uh, it's quite easy to cut a huge part of uh, air pollution uh, by simply organizing in a more smart way uh, the way we live and work. So actually, uh, our everyday lives can be uh, uh, optimized thanks to the smart transportation, to the use of soft mobility. Uh, and of course, it doesn't, doesn't come with just implementing the new ways of moving, uh, but it has to come uh, from, uh, from the minds of the people. So it's a cultural revolution, first of all. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've we're, we're coming towards the um, towards the end of the podcast now. I wonder before I ask um, uh, the questions that I always um, always pose to my to my guests. I wonder if there's just one question that I could ask about the um, the experience of being um, a, a pioneer. I'm sure it must be um, exhilarating at times, but how is it? How, how has it been to work um, to work at the forefront of um, of, of, of this movement? Well, it's it's not easy to be a pioneer, uh, but uh, what I would say to to anyone who wants to uh, undertake this path is there. Whatever the other thinks uh, or say, if you believe your idea can change a world for better, just a tiny bit, go ahead with it and uh, dare. And um, sooner or later, it will bring about the the results. So. It, you always will face the, the obstacles and uh, there always will be uh, a lot of skepticism around you and even uh, a lot of envy, but uh, being the pioneer is always like this. Otherwise, nobody would ever do a step forward. Fantastic. So, so that kind of brings me on then to my question. If you could change, if there was one thing that you could change, Queen, for a day, um, if there's one yeah. thing that you could change to make a positive impact in the world, what would it be and why? Well, the hardest questions in the end. I would say <laughs> uh, I would like for the world less ignorance and more empathy. Simple. And... We, we really need yeah I've, I've, yeah second second that for sure okay then uh to wrap up anastasia um three good things to begin with um one book or podcast that you think people might get value from uh i for sure i won't be the first one to say this but i would suggest uh, uh, sapiens and homo deus by yuval noah harari i think it's a must read nowadays this was recommended to me only only recently by um by um by a by a friend um i um, it'll be on my um on my list for my next uh, for my next holiday it'll be a school a school book i think I think I'm having increasingly moving to um, to audio books because then I can fit them in into you know into a busy week while I'm driving yeah. between um, <laughs> by driving between places. Fantastic! I'll um, I'll link to that for uh, for those who who need a link. It's a very famous book now. Um, one uh, one person or social media channel um, to follow. I would say any person that makes you laugh. I think uh, it's quite dangerous to take uh, everything too seriously. There is plenty of uh, sad and uh, dramatic things in our life. So for this uh, reason, I personally follow Elon Musk. Uh, Tree Elon Musk, as I think we have to call him now after the recent <laughs> <laughs> tree drives. Yeah. 
Wonderful. And um, and uh, finally, uh, your favourite place to immerse yourself in nature and why? Uh, for me, it's the sea, uh, anywhere in the world. Because uh, if, uh, if you look down, you'll see the unbelievable beauty of marine biodiversity. And if you look up, you see the immensity of the universe. There's nothing better. Do you have a beach in particular that's your um, or, a, or a coastline that's, um, that's that particularly stands out? Well, I love the Mediterranean coast of Sicily, and uh, I've recently been uh, at the Bahamas. I think it's one of the most beautiful and well-preserved places in the world. Fantastic, uh, Anastasia. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your weekend to um, to to speak with me. I'm really I'm really grateful. Thank you for inviting me. It's been great. My pleasure. Many thanks, Anastasia. Goodbye for now. Thank you. Bye.